been a great day. I'm so glad I could be a part of your Sunday and your ministry. I've had a, had a great time, and whenever I come here, <clears throat> I always feel like you welcome us here like family, and uh, we certainly enjoy it. And we certainly enjoy the food, that's for sure. And I want to thank all the ladies and, and even the gentlemen that helped to prepare that. And uh, it was a blessing. And very good, very good. Have you ever been separated from someone you love? I read an article not too long ago about a man and a lady named Bob Humphreys and Bernie Blouet. Bob and Bernie. I don't know what would possess a parent to name their daughter Bernie, but they did. All right? So this is a story about Bob and Bernie. They were childhood sweethearts, and they knew what it was like to be separated. Bob was 16, and Bernie was 14 when they met. And Bernie said years later, and this article is recorded as her saying, there was something between us. We went for a walk and thought, and I thought, this is the man I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Bernie also said that Bob was a romantic. His letters were just incredible. He made arrangements for us to get married, and I didn't even know about it. And all the ladies say, I told that story at a camp, a, a different camp, about a week ago, and, and some guy right in the front goes, oh, and I said, no, guys don't do that. <laughs> so that was my cue, ladies say, all right. But then I read an interesting statement in that same article by the journalist. It said this, but the world got in the way. And Humphreys went to war. Bob went off to serve in World War II, and Bernie was eventually drafted as a nurse by the Royal Air Force. They exchanged letters for quite some time. They would write each other, and, and Bob would write her, and her parents would, would forward the letters to her. But eventually, the letters stopped. They, they exchanged letters for quite some time, and, and while Bob was in France, he stopped receiving letters from his childhood sweetheart, and he was left to think that she simply lost interest in him. While on the other end of the relationship, she too was suffering from a broken heart. She wasn't getting letters from her romantic, Bob. And she suffered as well. The truth was, he, he was writing her, but for one reason or another, she wasn't getting them. The world got in the way. And two people who loved each other deeply, who wanted to be married, who, who wanted to be close to each other, who wanted to spend their life together, were kept apart. They were separated by the circumstances of life, the circumstances of war and time and distance. And they were even brought to a point in which they believed the other had lost interest 
in them. Have you ever been separated from someone you love? It can be difficult, can it? I know what it's like. Sometimes I travel to speak at different places, and I'll travel alone. And it can be difficult to have that distance between you and someone that you love. Maybe you know what that's like. You know what it's like to be separated. You know what it's like to wonder even if, if somebody cares about you like they once did or, or if, if they loved you like they once did. And it seemed like the world just got in the way. Maybe you've experienced thoughts like our friends Bob and Bernie would have had. <clears throat> they would have thought things like, if only he would write to me. And tell me he still loved me. If only she would write to me and tell me what I did wrong. If only I could hear his voice one more time. Perhaps you know what it's like to have similar questions. You know what it's like to have that distance, that separation, and wonder, am I even loved anymore? Except you're not an Air Force nurse. You're not a World War II soldier or a love-stricken youth. Well, maybe some of us are. But you're a Christian. But you're a Christian. And that distance isn't between you and a, and a spouse or, or a family member or a parent or, or a sibling, but it's between you and your God. There's this distance. Maybe it seems like you can't hear his voice like you once did. Maybe it seems like you can't pray like you used to. Or maybe you don't see him working in your life like you used to. Maybe it seems like he doesn't quite love you like you thought he did. And you think to yourself, I wish he would tell me what I did wrong. If only I could hear his voice one more time. You're not the only one who has experienced a season in life like that. In fact, all of us have. And that's why James addresses this very thing in chapter 4. Would you turn there, please? James chapter 4. James chapter 4. <clears throat> now, James is one of my favorite uh, Bible characters. I mean, I just love the book of James. And the more you learn about James, the author, the more fascinating the book becomes. James was a, a very interesting individual. And in fact, uh, in a lot of ways, he, he was simply like us. You know, what's interesting to me is that James was the Lord's brother here on earth. Can you imagine that? <laughs> he, he grew up with Jesus. They were in the same household together. And, and they, would have, they would have had uh, the same instruction by their parents. Okay, by, by Mary and, 
and Joseph the same instruction. They would have celebrated moments in life together, birthdays, holidays, traditions, and culture was different, but they had no special moments just like we do. And, and James would, would grow up with Jesus. To me, that's just fascinating. And you hated being compared to your brother. <laughs> but imagine growing up with the Son of God. And what, what also interests me about that, that background is that in spite of all of James' exposure to the Messiah, he still had to come to a point of faith. I mean, obviously there would have been something different about Jesus, don't you think? I mean, you would notice he was different than your, you <laughs> and your friends and everybody else because he was perfect. But there had to come a point in his life when he realized this truly is God's son. It is true. He came to save his people from their sins. And he placed his faith in his brother, in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's just fascinating to me. In spite of all that exposure, he still had to be saved. You know what that reminds me of? Perhaps young people who grew up in church, who were exposed to the gospel year after year after year, and sometimes it becomes so familiar that it's just another thing we know about. But there still has to come a point in time when you realize, I have got to make this, this decision. I have got to receive that free gift of eternal life that Jesus offers me by faith. In spite of all that exposure, he still had to be saved. Do you need to be saved? You've been exposed to the gospel time and time again. Do you need to make that decision like James did? It's fascinating. And so he gets saved and he becomes a pillar in the church. He's a leader of the Jerusalem church. Now he's a leader and God is using him to grow his people. And what's interesting to me too is tradition tells us that James had a nickname. Does anybody know what it is? No, Joshua, my son cannot answer it. He's heard this before. He's like, me, me, me. I'll get something out of it if I can. All right, does anybody know? Yes, sir. Nope, nope. That's, that's, that's a different one. Yes, sir. Nope, nope, nope. It's, there's there's a, a few James in the Bible. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Joshua, you wait till we get out to the van. You, Gidget, I, I was so proud of you, you know. <laughs> At least she's honest. <laughs> Camel knees. Camel knees. And I'll tell you why. James had such a habit of kneeling in prayer that his knees were, were calloused. 
He spent so much time on his knees that if you were to look at him, it, you know how you have calluses from working outside on your hands? His, his knees were covered in calluses. He, it's fascinating to me that he knelt and prayed so much to Jesus, his brother. That just fascinates me. He's a wonderful character. And he writes the book of James with a Jewish flavor, like a Jewish prophet. In fact, it's been said that, that he's like an Old Testament prophet in the New Testament. It really fits well with the Old Testament. It's a wonderful book. And one of the reasons I like the book of James is that God gives him this truth to give to us, and he says, this is what it looks like in your life. This is what biblical truth is supposed to look like in your life. When I, when I talk to my kids and we have those teachable moments and, and I can teach them biblical truth, uh, and sometimes I quiz them on it, I'll say, okay, now tell me how this looks in your life. How would this truth work in your life? And that's what James does. He's very practical about the Christian life. He tells us... Uh, about everyday subjects, like how to go through trials successfully, how to read the Word of God, how to speak with grace, how to live out your faith, how to stop fighting with others, how to pray with power. And then he deals with our subject for today, which is found in verse 8. Did you look at it? Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. I mean, can it get any more practical? Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. That's pretty basic, isn't it? That's pretty down-to-earth, as we like to say. It's as if James tells us, if you find yourself distant from God, come back. And you'll find that he'll meet you on the way. It's as if he's, he says to you and I, if there's this distance between, between you and God, you can remove that distance. It doesn't have to be that way. It's as if James says to you and I, you're as close to God as you choose to be. That's the one truth I want you to walk away with this afternoon. Just one truth. That's my whole outline, one point. <laughs> and that is, you're as close to God as you choose to be. It's our choice how close we are with our Heavenly Father. James tells us to draw nigh. It means to be moving toward a destination. You're moving forward to a destination. And for the Christian and for you and I here today, that destination is God Himself. All through life, we've got to be moving toward our God. When I think about uh, destinations, I think about traveling. I do a lot of it. And, and I have what everybody has nowadays, you know, the GPS, okay? And I rely heavily on that GPS to get me to the right destination. 
I mean, I use that thing almost daily when I'm in when I'm on the road. And so and so I use that to get to my destination. And if that thing broke, I don't know what I'd do. I guess I'd have to pull out one of those things, uh, paper things. What do you call it? Uh, tells you where to go, like lines, map, yeah. I'd have to pull out a map, you know, the old-fashioned map. I'm glad those days are gone. Maybe I'm not that bad. But I depend on it to get me to the destination that I need to be. And if there's this distance between you and the Lord, you're not as close to Him as you'd like to be or need to be, James 4.8 is your GPS to get you back to the right destination, your God. It's a wonderful truth, a truth that we all need to, to remember. We're as close to God as we choose to be. When we're told to draw nigh, we're told to move spiritually. We're told to come near. Do you know what this, do you know what this tells me? This, this whole verse tells me, tells you, that our relationship with God is our responsibility. Can I get an amen? Can I get a southern amen? It goes like this, amen. So it's amen. All right, you can try it later. Oh, we got one Southerner back there. So, our relationship with God is our responsibility. Sometimes as parents, as youth leaders, or even grandparents, or aunts and uncles, we we see young people, and sometimes you just want to shake them, and you just want to say, come on, it just makes sense, why don't you live for God? And some of you young people are like, I know, I know, get off my back. But listen, as much as we would like to do that, your relationship with God is your responsibility. You're as close to Him as you choose to be. All of us have to decide which relationship is most important. And that relationship is with the Lord. I think if we were all honest, we know what it's like to have those moments, those seasons in which we're not as close to God as we ought to be. James knew that. That's why he helps us here. And in his prophet-like tone, he, he tells us a major reason why that distance happens. It's in the second part of the verse. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Here is James writing to Jewish believers who are scattered everywhere. And, and they want comfort. They want God's direction. They want, they want uh, their brother James to, to empathize with them. And, and they're reading these, these words that God has led him to pen. And, and he, they read, cleanse your hands, ye sinners. He's writing to believers. He's writing to his brethren. And he says, cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts. Don't be double-minded. Wow. Just like a prophet. Reaching out to his own people. And sometimes that distance comes to our lives when we allow sin 
to creep in and stay. It's like a wedge between us and the Lord. And that's why James is dealing with it. And to the Jewish mind, this would have made perfect sense. Do you know what they would have thought of? Immediately, when they read the second part of this verse, they would have thought about the Old Testament sacrificial system. Immediately, their mind would have gone back to the tabernacle, back to the priests, back to the sacrifices, back to the ceremonial law. It all made sense. It was, it was perfectly logical. They would have thought of something like Exodus chapter 40, verses 31 through 34. Listen to these words. I'll emphasize them. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet thereat. When they went into the tent of the congregation, and when they came near, you hear it? When they came near unto the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In Old Testament times, the priests had to be clean before they could draw near to God. There had to be a cleansing before there could be an approaching. And that's the picture James brought to the readers. God's always been the same. He loves his people, Jewish or not. And if you want the glory of God to fill your life, if you want his unrestricted presence in your life, you must be clean. You must be clean. He has always required clean hearts and clean hands in exchange for His presence and blessing. You know, sometimes believers can have dirty hands and defiled hearts. The, the hands speak of our actions, things that, things that we do or things that we're not doing that we're supposed to. They, the hands speak of the believer's actions. And the heart speaks of the believer's attitudes. All of us know what it's like to have bad attitudes once in a while, don't we? Kind of like, you know, an afternoon service and, and we wake you up during your nap, you know. What are you doing? Leave me alone. Oh, wait, I'm in church. <laughs> All of us know what it's like to have a bad attitude once in a while. But James says, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. If you're not as near to God as you ought to be, check yourself. Where are you spiritually? Take a spiritual inventory. Confess sinful actions and attitudes, James tells us. Sinful actions can be something like listening to music that doesn't please the Lord. Conducting business in a in a dishonest manner. 
viewing something inappropriate on the television or the internet. Sinful actions that require cleansing. How have your actions been? What about your attitudes? How's your attitude been? Uh, Have you been guilty of an attitude of perhaps ungratefulness? There's a parent that works hard to provide for you, or a spouse who who is doing all that they can, and you have this, this spirit of unthankfulness. What about an attitude of cynicism? That is, you don't trust people. Maybe not even people at church. You you say, I don't want to let anybody close to me. There's no one who's worth trusting. And you kind of look at everybody as if they have an ulterior motive. That's not Christ-like. It's not Christ-like at all. There's people that God puts in your life to trust. How's your attitude been? Is there an attitude that speaks of an unteachable spirit. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Maybe somebody has some, some correction to offer you. Maybe somebody wants to help you, and you get offended by that. That's a wrong attitude. You know, correction's a good thing, even when it comes from a peer. You know, sometimes we want to fight it, but it's good. You know what the end, end result of correction is? Being correct. And we all want to be right. Correction is a good thing. But maybe you have this attitude, this uh, unteachable spirit. James says, hey, it's time to get cleaned up. There's no place for that in your relationship with Christ. Once that sin is confessed, we can come nigh to God. And, and this is what I love. This is what I love. Listen, when, when, when we decide, look, this relationship is my responsibility. It's not my parents. It's not my friends. It's not my pastors. It's not the, the Bible teacher. It's not somebody else. This is my responsibility. And we say, I'm going to go and grow forward towards my Lord. We find that he's meeting us half the way. He's already making his way towards us. Aren't you thankful for a God who said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you? Aren't you thankful for a God who's always there as soon as you're making your way towards him? I am. I don't know about you, but sometimes I blow it. Sometimes I neglect my relationship with God, and it's not what it ought to be. And listen, all of you know what that's like too. And I'm so thankful that I've got a heavenly father that put James 4.8 in the Bible and says, hey, you move towards me and I'll move towards you. That's pretty basic and I love it. You see, you're as close to God as you choose to be. It's your responsibility it's my responsibility. I get a little frustrated with, with uh, some Christians who hop from church to church to church, and it's the same excuse. Well, I just wasn't being fed. Hey, feed yourself. You're a big boy. 
Am I right? It's our responsibility to have this relationship with Christ that is always coming and growing closer. So in light of this, where are you in this relationship with God? Does it seem like there's this distance between you and Him? Is it because of sin that must be confessed? Are you like our friends Bob and Bernie? The world just got in the way. You're as near to God as you choose to be. Now, who wants to know the rest of the story about Bob and Bernie? I asked that question at another church a few weeks ago, and one lady, I could not believe it, just right after I asked that question, she just blurts out, well, yeah, that's the only reason I'm still listening. I thought, good night. This service is over. But again, at least she's honest, Gidget. So. Now, this is a true story. Google it, all right? You'll find it. You'll find pictures of it all. After 70 years of being separated, not knowing anything about each other, they found each other after 70 years. And Bob asked Bernie to marry him. And she said yes. She said, when I saw him again, I saw that young soldier. And so, at the ages of 89 and 87, they tied the knot last year. Isn't that amazing? I saw all the pictures. It was amazing. All the family was there. What a great reunion. What a great reunion. My friend, when you decide, hey, I'm going to close that gap between me and my God. There's a great reunion. And it's worth celebrating. You see, you're as close to God as you choose to be. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.